Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to the Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find Jesus and follow him. Today, we are going to conclude a year-long series. And so this is, this is a problem for some of you, but not so much. Because if, you've, uh, if you have been with us for a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple minutes or whatever, you kind of have a problem. You have a problem, that, the same problem that Marvel has, all right? I don't know anybody was really into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that stuff, right? Big deal, right, with Infinity Saga and all these things. Well, Marvel has a problem right now in that ever since the Thanos and the or Iron Man snap, they have done so much content that now if someone's like, hey, I, I hear something, everyone's watching Marvel, where do I start? <laughs> Man, you got like 12 years worth of movies to watch and like five seasons of episodes just to understand who's who and what's what. That's a lot to catch up with. And some people are like, you know what? I don't got the time for that. And so some people don't even bother. I know it could be a little intimidating the same way because today is probably going to be, I think, my 43rd sermon this year on prayer alone. So for those of you that if you like prayer or or, inter- or it is like the bane of your existence, all right? It's one of those things that like, oh, that's, it's, I need help with that. Well, there's an archive now that you can go back whenever you can, whether it's on our website, you can search my name, Tito Sotolongo on Spotify and YouTube and find it. But even with that, you don't have to know and have to hear all 43 or 40 whatever sermons to get it. You can get enough of it today. In fact, we are going to look at the end of the Bible to really begin to learn how to pray faithfully. And the book of Revelation is going to be our um, verse and our anchor point, which I thought it was fitting, all right? It's the And how are we going to end this sermon series? Well, how did God end his revelation? How did God end his um, speaking of his word through this book? So we're going to check it out. Now, for those of you guys, uh, to be able to cram this in, obviously we're not going to do the whole book. It can be, it's it's fun and complicated and confusing. And for some of you, scary. All right. I know it is, but you don't have to be. Uh, And I want to make sure that you at least understand the big parameters of this book. If you ever want to find the verse that I'm showing you today. And if you want to keep exploring, let me give you some guardrails. Ready? So number one, you got to understand what the book's about. All right. When you think revelation and you think the book of revelation, what do you think of? All right. Shout it out. What do you think of? End times. Jesus. The final countdown, right? Or whatever. It's all those things, right? You're thinking of it all. You're thinking all these things and, and some very intense things as well. A little intense things. And um, now the Greek, the, the original word revelation is translated from this Greek word that we get the English word apocalypse from. Now, when you think apocalypse, what do you think? All right. This is the apocalypse. Zombies, right? A zombie apocalypse, right? When you think of apocalypse, what comes to mind besides zombies? Huh? Huh? The, the, the end. The end. Like, I mean, but is it, do you, is it a positive emotional or a negative one? When you think apocalypse, usually negative, right? It's usually, again, zombies. Look at that first thing out of your mouth, right? Zombie apocalypse, right? And so apocalypse, we think of it as a negative term. But in reality, guys, it's, it's not. The revelation, which, by the way, it's not the book of revelations. Uh, it's singular. It's the book of revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the whole thing in apocalypse just means unveiling. It means revealing. It means disclosing a secret that there's no way for you to know unless I told you. For example, my wife has the best tres leche recipe there is. It is a fact. It is, right? it is a secret. And she has ten, over and over every year guessed the three milks. Still to this day, no one has come up with the three. If you want to play that game later, we can. But, all right, no one has come up with the three. And there's no way of knowing unless she just tells you, right? There's no other way to decipher that unless you're going to like break into my house and look into the fridge, all right? There's no other way. But the same thing with God. See, in order to know God, guys, you can't figure him out. He is not a code to be cracked. He's not a puzzle to be pieced together. He's not a math equation to be solved, a riddle to be, to be deciphered. No, God, in order for God to be known, he has to show himself. He has to reveal himself. 
Our minds, our minds cannot process that and figure him out. He has to lay it out. That's what it is. And so this book of Revelation, really the heart of it is that. It is, the, it is to reveal Christ. Now, let me encourage you. Let me give you also a warning for those of you. If you dive into this book at any point, and if you have more focus on trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, you're already off the rails, okay? You're already off the rails because it, the, this is not the revelation of the Antichrist. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the more you know Christ, the more you'll be able to recognize an Antichrist spirit easily. All right? But you can't know that unless you know him. That is the focus of this book. And so, and also the, the heart behind it is not to intimidate you. It is not to hold this, you know, your feet to the fire necessarily, believe or else, you know? It's not like one of those, neither. I mean, there is that tone. There is a tone. But it, not a manipulative one. But one of, of heart and of love. I was like, no, believe or else. This is, it is, it's different. And so this was written to a specific group of people. Now, I just recently heard this and from another guy. Uh, I, I can't remember his name right now. But um, I, thought it was, I thought it was cool, a way to look at it, the whole Bible. Because you look at the book of Revelation the way you look at every other book. Because every other book of the Bible is meant to reveal Christ. The whole Old Testament is meant to reveal Christ. All the New Testament, everything, it's meant to reveal him. And that's what it is. In fact, Christ said, everything is about me. It's all supposed to be about me. And someone said earlier that the Bible, this Bible that we hold in our hands, that's right in front of me, was not written to you. It was not written to me. It was written to specific people. The authors and people who wrote it were writing it to specific people. But although this was not written to us, it was written for us. And so you got to understand that when you better understand who it was written for, now you understand, oh, that's how to apply it to my life. That's how to apply it to my life. So, for example, who was the book of Revelation written to? It was written to Christians who were being persecuted, hunted, and murdered, and imprisoned. This was not good times, all right? This was not good times. It was not a wonderful life for these individuals. I mean, they were second-guessing themselves. They were like trying to do whatever to accommodate and to do because they were afraid, because literally all of hell was trying to stamp out the light of the gospel since the day Jesus rose from the dead. And so by the time John is writing this, it is believed to be almost close to 30 years or so after the resurrection. In fact, the, the gospel of John opens up by saying the word, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the, and the word became one of us. And then he says, and light and darkness has not overcome the light. See, that was the instance in all of the years, ever since the resurrection, despite all that the kingdom of darkness and the devil and demons are doing, the light still remain. And a few more years later, here is John and he is, given a glimpse, a peek of what is to come. Now, any, um, I know, I think it might be better said this way. Who doesn't like watching movies? Because I think most people do like watching movies. Who's a brave one? All right, anybody? Just not? All right, uh, watching movies at home or watching movies in a movie theater? I heard more home than movie theaters, right? I know. So it, it's, it's fun. I like both. I like both. But, guys, let me ask you a question. A good trailer for a movie. What, is a good, what does a good trailer do? A good trailer shows you just enough to tease you, to get you excited, to be like, oh, man, I got, I'm, yep, take my money now, all right? Take my money now. I want to go. I, I want to see that. A good movie does that. Now, we all know the worst trailers ever are the ones that have all of the good scenes in the movie. And then when you go to the movie, and that's it, right? Those are the most disappointing ever. But good trailers just do enough, right, to whet the appetite, to make sure, oh, I'm, I'm going to spend money. I'm going to spend money to go. Well, guys, I want you to view the book of Revelation as the ultimate trailer. It's the ultimate trailer to things that are happening, things are to come. And ultimately, it, it ends with this picture of heaven, but it's quick, super quick. And, you know, you don't get a lot of details. You just, just enough. Because, see, these people, all they knew was darkness and difficulty. And Jesus writes this very strong and illustrative message 
speaks to the John to encourage Christians in the day to say, listen, I know it hurts. I know it's difficult. I know you're probably second guessing this whole thing, but psst, I win in the end. It's, it's over. I know it doesn't, even, oh, it's, oh, no, it's, it's not over, over. No, 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 it's over. I got this. Just trust me. Trust me. Trust in me. Hold on. Be faithful because I am and will be faithful to you. I will be faithful to you. So guys, you see how in that right there, knowing that, now we know what this is for. So what we're going to read today, anything you read in the book of Revelation is to encourage you in the faith to know him and to hold on to him despite anything that may come your way. Because again, we know how the end plays out. See what I'm saying? That gives us hope. That gives us courage. And so we're going to look at a verse. Let's check it out right now. Um, it's, it's amazing to be able to trust in the power of God even and his plan, even when we don't get it. And so let's look at a little glimpse. Uh, the book of Revelation opens up in chapter 1, and Jesus reveals himself to the apostle John, and he does not show up like he did before. He does not show up like a cute little eight-pound, six-ounce baby, all right, wrapped up in a little manger. And a little, he doesn't show up like that. And then he doesn't show up like this meek, humble carpenter. No, Jesus shows off, I mean, looking like something out of an anime uh, movie. I mean, ridiculous in the descriptions of what he is. Eyes of fire and this and that. And it's, it's, it's this intensity of who he is. And so he, he talks to John and says, John, I want you to write this down. I want you to write down what you have seen, which is chapter one. I want you to write down what is which is chapters 2 and 3, which are the seven letters to the seven churches. I did a series on that a couple years ago. So if you ever wanted to check that out, I, I, um, I did that. And then he says, and what is to come? And that's what starts chapters, what is believed, chapters 4, all throughout the rest. And so we're going to read something out of that, out of chapter 5, out of this section of what Christ says, what is yet to come one day. Guys, my prayer is that what we are about to read right now, I pray that we all may be in attendance, that none of us, not one of you, may be absent from what we're going to read. Ready? So let's read chapter, uh, now uh, I don't have all the verses, I'm going to read uh, chapters 5, 1 through 6, and then uh, Saya, you're going to put up 6, 7, and 8. So I'm reading chapter 5. Then I saw, so John is getting this glimpse of heaven now, and he's seeing this um, different perspective, and he says, then I saw at the right hand of the one seated on the throne, which is God the Father, a scroll, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. But then one of the, one of the elders said to me, oh, Do not weep. Look, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now let's look at verse 6. Then I saw... The one, like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures and among the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all of the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne, God the Father. And when he, Jesus, took the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, all fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and, a, and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So, guys, again, I pray that you and I, like John, may be witnesses to what will happen. So, now this is kind of process here. Notice at the very end, I wanted to end at that one specific part. What do you see here? We, if we're going to focus on prayer, right? I thought out of the book of Revelation, that's an interesting one because prayer is mentioned with this unique description here. And so, we, we talked about prayer all year. Prayer is nothing but communicating. Earlier, you know, you said a minute ago, um, I was going to call you the wrong name. Sorry, I looked at somebody else. No, oh my gosh, I'm losing it. Okay, I... I I don't know what to do. 
I swore you just said Joanna. No, that's not your name. It's Julia. Okay, geez. All right. So, all right. So Julia said something when we sang earlier today. My melody is a weapon, right? My melody is a weapon. And, and it's not the tone of the melody. It's the text. It is what you are singing. It is the words. It is, and when we sing back the words of God, that's what, that's what, this is the ultimate weapon. This is the ultimate weapon is God's word. And so when, when we speak it out, whether with praise or when we pray it back, when we pray God's word back to him and we're processing it, that does something. And prayer, guys, is just nothing but ultimately letting God's word affect us. And then we are processing his word with him. That's prayer. That's the, the goal of it. And the goal of prayer is not to get what we want. The goal of prayer is to give God what he wants. You. And the, that's what the goal of prayer is, not to get what you want, but to give him what he wants. It's us. And, and that's what the process is. And the goal of prayer is not to change our circumstances. The goal of prayer is to be changed, to meet our circumstances. And we do that by submitting ourselves to a holy God. May your name be honored as holy in my life. I want to honor your name as holy. And for me to honor your name as holy, Lord, I pray your kingdom may come in my life and that your will be done. And that you give me, Lord, your word, your daily bread. And God, I also, knowing that when we get that daily bread, I like, I like to say this daily bread bites back, all right? And Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins, of my faults. Forgive me of my sins and as I'm applying it myself and then deliver me from anything that would take me away. Deliver me from the lies. Deliver me from evil. As that's, notice, we are asking to be changed. That's the essence of what prayer is. And so there was four things that I thought were interesting as we looked at this image of prayer. The first one was they're collected prayers. Guys, where were the prayers? Where did you find them? All right? They're in something. What were they? If you read it, what were they? They're in what? They're in bowls, right? Notice that the prayers, they said these, these 24 elders, they had golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the people, the prayers of the saints specifically. Listen to those words. Not everybody's prayer. Prayer of the saints. It's an interesting one there. And so golden bowls, what does that represent? First off, the gold. Every time we see gold, whether in the old or in the new, guys, gold represents divinity. It speaks of God's holiness, his kingship. So this is, these golden bowls are, are nothing but his hands. It is his hands like that, but it's golden bowls. And so what's encouraging about that is that where are our prayers? When we send up a prayer, they're not like our emails, which maybe go into somebody's spam, right? They, or they go into somebody's spam or they go unread. I know I, I have a junk email account. Anybody have a junk email account? Like I probably have like 42,000 emails on in counting. I, and like Yahoo just stopped counting. It just said 42,000 plus. This, yeah, oh, you know, I gave up. They, they, they gave up counting. And so it doesn't get sent like that. Our prayers are not like a text message that gets sent and then you see it unread. Some of you are going to cause a little, you know, trigger anxiety there. I'm like, he hasn't opened it yet, right? Our, our, our prayers are not like a phone call that gets sent into someone's voicemail. And God's trying to catch up with everything. He was like, hold on, man, I'm only one, right? And so it, it's not like that. Our prayers are not in some random filing system and cabinet in heaven. It is in these bowls. Golden bowls speak of special. It is special. It is not just placed anywhere on a shelf. It's not just in anything. It's golden. And so in the sense that the true, like what I described earlier, true humbled prayers sincere prayers of people who love God and are affected by the love of God. No, your prayers are not lost. They're gathered. They're collected. And that's encouraging for us, guys, because I know I'm not the only one who has ever wondered, God, do you hear me right now? Are you hearing me right now when I pray? That little glimpse, that revelation, because guys, how would I know and how would John know and you know that our prayers are in golden bowls if it wasn't for Jesus showing us? Now, whether it's literally or figuratively, I don't know. But you know what we do know is that our prayers are not lost. Our prayers are heard. Our prayers are heard. Now, it doesn't mean that every prayer is going to be answered according to the way you think it's going to be. But isn't it encouraging to know that despite how I feel, God's word shows my prayers are heard. They are heard. And God will answer my prayers according to his 
goodness according to his will, which is better than anything I may be praying for. So guys, that's encouraging for us to know that when you pray, when you pray and when you're frustrated, when you don't know, know that they are heard. They are gathered. They are collected. Christ is the bowl. And each one, even as, as each one is collected, each one will be answered correctly according to God's will, God's plan. And um, unlike maybe some of our Christmas lists, all right, I don't know about you when you were a kid, what you did, I, you know, I, I definitely, I mean, I didn't just give a Christmas list. There used to be this old service merchant, uh, service merchandise catalog that used to come all the time. Some of you, I'm dating myself right now, and I would bookmark. I would, I would pull out or highlight and put tabs in so my mom and my grandma would know exactly what aisle and where it was and what to do. Maybe now you don't do that. Maybe you do Amazon links and things like that, right? But my, um, when, we give, when you give a Christmas list or when parents ask, what do you want, right? That's just, right? They say whatever. And uh, my youngest son, JJ, um, he said a very unique comment because today, this year we asked him, all right, guys, being a parent, what do you want for Christmas? And he goes, I don't know. I don't think I should tell you. And I'm like, why? And I was like, well, because, I mean, I should be surprised. Like, you should know me by now. And like, you should know me by now. And, and I, I would like to be surprised. I don't want to know, thinking, I asked for this. My parents are nice. I'm more than likely going to get it. So now I'm just waiting for I re- what I already know is there. Versus, I don't know what's there, but I just want to be surprised. I'm just going to trust you. So number one, I think that's super cool. All right? I think that is super cool. Nice. Second, not cool, bro. That's a lot of pressure. All right? That's a lot of pressure. Not cool. Not cool because... Man, all right, listen. So anyways, but in the same way that maybe for you, you do give a list. I know that sometimes my kids have said, I want these 10,000 things. And my, young, uh, my middle son, Josiah, one time I looked at my Amazon account, almost passed out because there was uh, $2,500 worth of stuff in my Amazon cart, in the cart. And when I looked into it, he had been dumping stuff like it was a shopping spree, just throwing it in there. Like, look, whatever's in there just surprised me, right? And so now for us, when we pray, we may to say all these things, but in the end, God's going to give us. Just like as a parent, you may tell the parent, hey, I, w- I would love all these things, but the parent has a budget, the parent has a limit, the parent knows better. No, I'm not going to buy you nunchucks. I'm, you know, I'm not going to do that. And so their parent is wise. And so we got to trust God in the same way. We trust him in the same way. We will be pleasantly surprised when we see him, when he answers all these prayers. So number one, the prayers are collected. Number two, the prayers are blended. Did, what was the illustration, guys? Not only what's in the bowl, it says something is in the bowl, which is the prayers of God's people. What's in the bowl? Incense, right? I don't know if anyone's ever burned incense before. In my house, we, we like, you know, candles and, and uh, diffusers, right? That's what, what, what we have. I, I love those stuff, right? Smelly goods, right? we call them. And so we like that stuff. We like the house to smell a kind of way. Um, and so incense has a, obviously a smell to it, a sweetness to it. And so there's something really good about it. And so incense and prayer as an illustration is, is something that's all throughout the scriptures. In fact, Josiah, you don't have this, but in Psalms 141, Psalms 141, King David actually opens this psalm and says, I'll read it to you. Lord, I call on you. Hurry to help me. Listen to my voice when I call. So, wow, that's, that's some rawness in there. Verse 2, may my prayers be set before you as incense, the raising of my hands as the evening sacrifice. We sang again today, you know, inc- you know that might have been a weird line for some of you. You know, may incense arise day and night, night and day, may incense arise. What does that mean? All that, again, that was symbolic, not, you know, because when you light a candle, when you light incense, what happens? The smell goes what? It goes up. It goes up. And so, when he says, Lord, I don't hear you, I can't see you, where are you? But I pray that kind of like if, if you've ever been a little kid and you just kind of let go of a balloon, you ever just stayed looking at that balloon until it disappeared? You ever seen that? You know, just, you know how happy you are just to be able to calm down and do nothing but just look at a balloon, just float away. Wow, that's cool, right? That's some cool stuff. And so that's the essence, Lord, I'm going to send this prayer to you and I... I'm just going to trust. I pray that it just may rise up like incense and fill the room. Fill your heart. Fill, and may it be a sweet smell. You know, there is nothing more stinky to God. Talking about prayers, there's nothing more stinky to God than selfish prayers. 
self-centered prayers. In fact, over and over again, Jesus says, don't pray like this because I'm not going to hear that. Don't pray like that guy. Don't pray to show off. Don't pray to get what you want. Don't pray to be all about you. Don't pray just, no, don't do that. Don't do that. In fact, even in, in he, he revealed to Peter, talking about husbands and wives, he says, I will not, husbands, I will not hear your prayers if you mistreat your wife. Man, there's no Bible verse for women on that one. Nope. It's only for the fellas. The fellas, that's the only one. There's not wives. Better take care of him or else I ain't going to listen to you. No, it's only for the fellas. That's a tough word to hear. And so there are prayers that God will not hear and God will not answer because they are not for our good. Stinky prayers that are not incense. They're, it's garbage. It's selfish, self-centered ones. True incense is humbled ones. In fact, this is why I said it's, it's blended because in the Old Testament, God actually says, I want this recipe. There's a recipe and I only want it. I want these spices and mix it in this way. And I want it like this. And they had to do it exactly the way to show, again, God is trying to say, listen, just trust me. I know it's weird, but it's, it's about obedience, but it's about trusting in him. I want this and only this. I know better. Just leave it at that. And so not only were all these things blended together, but they weren't just kind of like, you know, no, they had to be, look, grinded, pounded like that, grinded together. And so you know what a blended prayer is? One that is humbled by the word, tenderized, like a meat tenderizer, humbled. That's a blended prayer, and, and that's, that's important. And so one of the things about the, if you even, again, listen to the Lord's Prayer, the blendedness is also a variety of things. Guys, if all you do is pray about you and what you want and your day, that's not, enough. That's not the recipe. You're missing ingredients, right? It's like trying to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich, and you don't have peanut butter, and you don't have bread, all right? You're going to miss, it's, now you just got a mess. All right, that, that's, it's not a PB&J. You got a mess here, all right? That's not it. You need things. And so what is the recipe? Jesus gave it to us, guys. May your name be honored as holy. That's part of the recipe of prayer. That, that, there's, that there's an acknowledgement of growing and of just in awe of who he is, a response to his revelation that he, and a desire for him to be known. May your name be honored as holy, not just in my life, but all around the world. It's a, it's a desire for him to be known, not for us. Not for you, that he may be known, that his name may be. It is oh, talking about faithful over famous. That's the focus. And then what's the other recipe? Lord, may your kingdom come. May that be a more priority than the castle I want to build. Lord, may your will be done, not mine. Give me today your daily bread versus I'm going to go hunt for some, you know, processed daily bread somewhere that the world may offer that's a little tastier, a little better? No. Lord, forgive me and deliver me. Dependence. You see the recipe there? That's the recipe. Look at all the blendedness there. And it's not just about me. He says us. Plural. Do you pray for you? Do you pray for others? It's okay to pray about yourself, but do you pray for others? And who do you pray for? How often do you pray? That's all the recipe there. But you know what? In interesting ingredient that goes in the recipe of prayer, in the incense that God said, the literal one? You, some of this, you might, uh, let's see who, a uh, uh, little trivia facts, Christmas trivia facts people would win this one. All right. Frankincense was the, one of the, part of the recipe that needed to go in the Old Testament. And where do you remember frankincense from? If you hear frankincense, what are you thinking now? The wise men, the manger, right, whatever, right? Even though Jesus, the Bible says he was a toddler, he wasn't a baby, I'm wrecking your nativity. Um, and we don't know there was three wise men. It just says wise men. It could have been five, it could have been 500, but they brought three types of gifts. What were they? Gold. And what did I say gold represented? divinity, kingship. They recognize that this baby in a cave in the middle of nowhere is the promised king. And then the other one, gold, myrrh. And myrrh represented, myrrh represents, a, that's an embalming fluid. That's what myrrh is. They did that to embalm bodies. Guys, that is not the gift to show up to at a baby shower. All right. That's speaking of death. But they realize not only is this the coming king, but this king will give his life. They recognized that and gave him myrrh at the beginning as a symbol that he would be our perfect sacrifice. 
And frankincense, that's not by accident, guys. I'm like, look, we got two out of the three. What do you got in your bag? Some frankincense? All right, yeah, throw that. Let's run it. All right? That's not a leftover, man. Frankincense was specific to the temple, was specific to the incense. And frankincense was always associated to roles of the high priest. And now Christ, the book of Hebrews says, he stands before the Father as a high priest offering prayers for his brothers and sisters in the faith. So it is, it honors, this is Christ at his birth. It was Christ as king, Christ as high priest, and Christ as sacrifice from the beginning. And so, guys, frankincense is important because frankincense we associate it with Christ. Christ is that frankincense that when you add Christ to your prayers, it's what makes it sweet. It is Christ that makes our prayers sweet when we submit ourselves to Christ. He is the most important element of the recipe. It is him. All right, so we got collected prayers. We got blended prayers. Then we got ignited prayers. Now, check this out. I don't have it, but let me read this one. Well, actually, we do. Saya, can you go to uh, Revelation chapter 6? Let's look at uh, 9 and 11, I believe. Yeah, let's look at 9 and 11. Uh, we see the same thing. Now, we, you know, the, the seals are being opened up. And in verse 9, let's read verse 9, let's read that when the fifth seal is open. When he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had been given. Remember, guys, who is hearing this word? The, the people who are receiving this word are Christians who are alive that know friends and family who have been slaughtered for the faith. What has happened to them? Look at the glimpse that they've been given. They heard, they cried out in a loud voice under the altar for being, for being uh, murdered for the faith. Lord, the one who is holy and true, look at their faith. The one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? Now, these guys are not being petty. Like, God, when are you just going to get them? You saw what they did to me, man. Can you come on, boys, clap back, get them, you know, run this real quick. All right, that's not, he's not talking about vengeance here. There is this strong desire of these people saying, Lord, how much longer until you just, just be done with this because we just want to be with you forever. That is the prayer of all the saints. But guys, how encouraging was that to hear about 2,000 years ago? That's where my wife is. That's where my daughter is. That, that, that's where my, my, my father is. They're not just lost. You're holding them. And they're still praising your name. And they're still trusting in you. And he continues on, and each was given a white robe, speaking of forgiveness and holiness. And they were told to rest a little longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they were. Look at that encouraging word saying, if that's you and if you're next, I want you to know what's going to happen to you if, if you give your life for Christ. It's okay. It's going to be fine. And so, guys, notice that this is an ignited prayer because of also something else. Let's look at now Revelation 8, 1 through 6. Now the, it says here, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, all right, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. This is, this is now right, there's like this pause of, it's almost like in, in basketball when the guy is going to, there's a buzzer beater and he gets and he shoots and now the crowd, <gasps> Ah, you know, that's exactly what's happening here. There's this moment he pops off that seventh seal. Everything is just going to down, you know, um, you know, escalate quickly. And all of heaven hushes in, in suspense, shock and awe, and shock and awe, and even horror of some of the things. Then I saw the, the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. There it is again. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angels. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, hurled it to the earth, and there were pearls of thunder, rumblings, flashing of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, guys, there's a lot of interpretation of what that means. Now, it, whether that is that it's like final judgment coming as we've been praying, Lord, may your kingdom come. Oh, here it's finally coming. And the train is, is pulling into the station and it's coming in hot. All right. And so that could be. 
And there's one interpretation of saying, notice that the fire of God and the prayers of his people are now returned back to the earth. And now God is fulfilling his will in that there's lightning happening as light is, is illuminating the darkness. Thunder is rolling as the sound of God's word is rolling all throughout scripture. And the earth is being shaken. Awake. Now, it could be one or the other. I don't know. But whatever, I'm going to leave it up to him. But guys, did you notice incense needs to be what in order to be effective? Candles need to be burned. Where does the fire come from? You guys, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, Exodus, it, they had this pattern. They had this uh, tabernacle with an altar of incense where they would burn before the altar, before the, before the throne, the Ark of the Covenant. And at the front, outside was an altar where they would, you know, have sacrifices. And the altar from the inside was lit from the coals of the altar on the outside. You couldn't do it any other way. You had to take lit coals from the sacrifice, bring it to the inner, the inner place, and light the incense with the coal from the sacrifice, and that is what God wanted. Guys, Jesus, the cross, is the ultimate altar. Jesus on the cross opened the door. Like That big altar was a big one, and it was the only way in through the tabernacle back in the day. Jesus Christ on the cross kicked open the door of heaven for us to be able to enter, and he is the perfect sacrifice. And so not only is Christ the bowl and that holds our prayers, and Christ is the incense that makes it sweet, the coal is Christ. Christ is the coal that when Christ is even the fire, the, the illumination, the illumination of the scripture, of his word of truth, when that ignites your heart, That is what sends those prayers. Notice that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is is the words that we say. He is what makes the words sweet when we put our trust in him. And he is the fire that sends it. He is all of it. We can't do anything without him. And so here, notice even itself, when you burn something, guys, this is math. So we we got a scientist over here to my left. And so Calvin can confirm. All right. So with fire, there's a chemical transformation that happens. Right? There is, there's, when you light something on fire, it is a physical and, and chemical. Am I correct? It's chemical. A chemical transformation. Once you light wood, you can't reverse that again. Right? You guys want ashes or ashes. You can't reverse that. And so, not, at least we can't. God says that he's the only one that can reverse ash back to different glorified bodies. Right? And so, so if there is a transformation happening here. Once you are lighting something, it is no longer going to be the same. Once the fire of the truth of who God is ignites you, you are never the same again. And it is a process. It is a process of being, of burning, a process of being transformed into his likeness. Not from something great to dust, but what God says from glory to glory. And that other glory is experienced in there. And so when these prayers, when we ignite it by the, the life and, and the love of God and the truth of who he is, It changes us. That's why notice, notice guys, these are the prayers of who? Of saints. And who were the saints prior? Sinners. Sinners. That's anybody here. Anybody who's a saint. I know sometimes we may saint people. And why do we saint people? We saint people based on great accomplishments, right? What they did. Oh, this guy was a great person. Saint this. Oh, this is a great person. Saint that. Okay. The only reason why anybody is called a saint, is not because of what we did. It's the great things that Christ did. And then all we did was saying, no, no, him. He did it. Not me. I'm with him. All right? I trust in him. That's, and then we are given the name saints and made it by what Christ has done. And so notice it is ignited prayers. Guys, without the coal of Christ, without the sacrifice on the cross, our prayers hit the ceiling. They go nowhere. But then there's one more. Not only are these prayers collected, they're blended, they're ignited. Last one, they're accompanied. In one hand, they had bowls of incense, which are the prayers. Guys, what's on the other hand? Do you remember? Oh, there you go. Let's read that again. Can we put Revelation chapter 5, verse 8? Did you pay attention to what's in the other hands? Let's look. All right. Just like a great magician, guys. You got to watch the other hand. All right. There's something in there, too. So, When he, Jesus, took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with 
incense. This is what they have. Now, for some of you, you're probably already thinking, all right, when you think of angels and harps, you're probably thinking of fat babies, right? And so that's the image that you have. Guys, listen, just, you know, delete empty basket, just do that, all right? And so you need to change your, your perspective on, on angels and what we're all going to look like, you know, that's not glorified bodies, all right, that we're going to need like diapers changed and whatnot in heaven. That would be ridiculous, all right? And so that's not it. But notice that these prayers are accompanied. These bowls of incense also have a harp next to them. And guys, to to kind of give you a shortcut, harps in Scripture, harps in the Old Testament, in this Jewish culture, they always were associated with worship and praise. And even though, yeah, it's musical, but again, it has nothing so much to do with music, but our expression towards God. And so it, it was always used, harps were always used when we would, when people would sing back to God and, and declare who he was based on his word, but it was always used for prophecy and not so much predicting the future, but again, the word, the spoken word of God. And so guys, here we see that prayer has a partner. Praise. Prayer and pray, pray. These prayers are accompanied by praise. Did you not hear when, when we read out of those who were slaughtered and martyred into under the altar, what came out of their mouth? To the one who is holy and worthy, how much longer? Praise first. Prayer. You see the pattern? Praise and prayer. Listen to the Lord's prayer. May your name be honored as holy. You know what that's called? That's praise and a prayer. May your kingdom come. That's praise and a prayer. May your will be done. That is praise and a prayer. All of those things, Lord, may, may, may give me your daily bread. Give us the, today our daily bread. Forgive us. That is praise. That is because you are recognizing, Lord, you are free. If you have the audacity to ask the Lord to forgive me, is because deep down you have a conviction he is a forgiving and loving God. So it is, a, it is a prayer and a praise. Prayer and a praise. Both of these things go together. And in fact, I read three sections from you. Chapter 5, about incense and prayer. Chapter 6, incense and prayer. Chapter 8, incense and prayer. After the incense and prayer, guess what is in all of those chapters? Hymns. All of heaven bursts out in hymns as well. Because prayer and praise, you can't separate the two. They are two wings to your faith. They are two wings to your faith that flap against the breath and the wind of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is, that is how we can soar in our faith. If all you do is praise, if all you do is pray to God, if all you do is praise and you don't praise, bro, what, you know, how far, how far are you going to go, right? How far are you going to go with that? And so, no, praise is important. It is the two wings to our faith that, that must, that go against even the very breath of God, which is his word. Those are important. And in fact, guys, what we see here is that saints in heaven, the saints of Revelation, they pray to a praiseworthy God. That's two things. They pray to a praiseworthy God. And in fact, I, I thought if just to give you, if I'm not giving you even more, just of, of, of we're looking at this and unpacking and, and lifting. I mean, we're, we're doing nothing but treasure hunting right now and looking through the words and finding Christ and finding the gems. Let me show you one other to show you just an incredible, just another glimpse, just one more reason on just how perfect God's plan is. That you and I are in the middle of it. We don't know how much longer, but we know how it started and we know how it's going to end. That's what, that's what this is. We know how it all started. How did we get here? We got answers. Where's it going to go from here? I don't know. How's it going to end? We got answers. In fact, Moses wrote Genesis 1,500 years or so before. John wrote Revelation. Neither one wrote thinking what the other would do. But the Holy Spirit, God inspired both ours, both words. And the word of God is an, it's, it's a work of art. In fact, let me show you. You know that the first three books of Genesis actually parallel the final three books of Revelation perfectly. They bookend. Let me show you. Now, you can take this picture later, but online you should see this. Genesis 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Revelations 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Darkness, he called night in Genesis, but in Revelation, there shall be no night there. Genesis, God made two great lights, the sun and moon. Revelation, the city, no need of the sun or the moon. 
for he will be our light. Genesis, in that day when you eat of the fruit of the, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, in Revelation, we will be told there will be no more death. Genesis, Satan appears as the deceiver of mankind, but in Revelation, Satan disappears forever. In Genesis, we are shown a garden in which defilement has entered, but in Revelation, we are shown a city in which defilement will never enter. We, the walk with God, walk, uh, the walk of God with man is interrupted in Genesis, and it is resumed in Revelation. Can we go to, go to the next one? Initial tr- in, in Genesis, we see the initial triumph of the serpent, but in, in Revelation, the ultimate triumph of the Lamb. In Genesis, I will greatly multiply your sorrows, he tells the woman, but in Revelation, we will all hear there will be no more death and no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain. In Genesis, cursed, he tells the man, cursed is the ground for your sake. In Revelation, there will be no more curse. Man's dominion broken in the fall of the first man, Adam, but man's dominion restored in the, in the rule of the new, Christ. In Genesis, the first paradise is closed. In Revelation, the new paradise is opened. Access to the tree of life is disinherited by Adam, but now access to the tree of life has been reinstated in Christ. Notice the progression, perfect. And in the last one, Genesis 3 ends, they were driven from God's presence, but Revelation 22, the last chapter of the book, says, and they will see his face forever. Look at that. Look at that. You see what I'm saying? So you can see, listen. Saints, can you see why saints ought to, saints pray to a praiseworthy God. Look at what he's promised to say. I know how it started and trust me, I know how it's going to end. Trust me. Trust me. Saints, we pray to a praiseworthy God and that's why I have to ask you now. Do you praise the God you pray to? I want you to think about that and just, just sit down for a minute. Do you praise the God you pray to? Or do you just pray? You pray, Lord, I need this. I had that. Help me grow. Help me this. Help me that. But you're disobedient. You know, you're, you're trying to do the least and you want the most. You, you just, you, you want you still. You just want you. And, and, if, and if you, if you worship a God made in your image, you don't worship a God made in your image. You worship yourself. It's you. Versus we are to be made in his image. We don't do that. We put ourselves in position humbly so that he can. So do you think of your prayers? Do you praise the God you pray to? Or do you just pray? And is your prayers just about what you want? But do you praise? In fact, guys, this is the wonderful thing. If you never know what to pray about, I get, I swear, I told you, some of y'all, I'm going to remove every excuse. Or want, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know. Oh, no, forget it. Yeah, you are, God's going to hold you accountable. He's going to look at my YouTube and be like, yeah. you were there. I saw it. You're a follower. You're subscribing. I see it. Listen, if you don't know what to pray about, fill your pauses with praise. That's it. Fill your pauses with praise. If you don't know what to ask for, oh well. Praise his name for what you know. Praise his name in the midst of what, even what you don't know. Pray. Notice where were these saints under the altar? They had a question, God, how much longer? And what were they told? Not yet. Okay. But here's a rope. Okay. <laughs> so like, but they were given enough to a reminder. Just trust me. Not yet until it's all done. It's not time. As I know for them, oh, God, I want my this and I want my that. What is my purpose and what is my destiny and what is my calling? And you're never going to hear it. You're never going to hear the calling. You're never going to find your destiny because still it's about you. Do you praise the God you pray to? Guys, Revelation, remember, it's all about the revelation of Christ. And that is, it. the book ends the same way it opens. The only reason, you, how did Moses know how the beginning opened? How does Moses know? Moses wasn't there. It was shown to him. It was revealed. And God always reveals himself to people. Watch me. And there's always the pattern. Read the Old Testament. Read the New. Every time God reveals himself, it's for a purpose. He reveals himself so that now people may know him and that he may redeem to restore. 
He reveals to have a relationship. Revelation is meant to go into relationship. If we respond and humble ourselves and say, amen. Yes, Lord, I don't get it all still, but I trust, I see enough to trust you. Revelation leads to relationship, which that relationship is rooted in reverence. There's praise once again. And guys, the elders, which uh, we don't know who the elders are. I mean, it's very representative of Christ. I mean, we look to that and we can see again our prayers should it be accompanied by praise. That was, that's in our hands. The weapons of our warfare are praise and prayer rooted and shaped by the word of God. Our praise is in response to the word of God and our prayers are according to the word of God. That's our weaponry. And we praise with what we have in our hand because of what Christ will have, or some argue already has in his. What's in his hand? You want to read it one more time? Let's look. Because right, verse 8, I read at the beginning of chapter 5. We're going to end with this. I read chapter 5. I saw at the right hand of the one, God the Father, seated on the throne. I saw a scroll. And on the scroll were sealed, seven seals. But he says, I saw writing on it, in from the front and back. You ever written a letter front and back to somebody? All right, a little note or whatever. Guys, if something is written on it front and back, that means something. Is there, if something is written on it front and back, is there any space to add anything else? Nothing. The scroll contains every prophetic word spoken in here in the Old Testament and in the New that the Father promised he would give his son, Christ, as an inheritance. Guys, if you read the Old Testament and the prophetic, it always says, and I will give you the nations, and I will give you a key, and I will give you this, and I will give you that. You are not the you, okay? He's not talking to you. He is not talking to you. It's like, oh, you're going to give me this, and you're going to give me that, and you're going to give me the nations? Oh, how are you going to wrap it? Okay? You are not the you in the text. Christ is the you. It is the Father telling Jesus, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. This is what you will inherit because of your life and because of your sacrifice. This is what you're going to get. Everything, every, the scroll front and back contains every spoken word that the Father promised that the Son would get. And there's nothing else to be added to it because the word is complete. The word is full. Nothing else to be added. But I, 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 do, I can't say this all certainty, but I have a theory. Why did John cry? Who is worthy to open the scroll? No one. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth. No one was worthy enough to do it. He cried. Why? I was like, no, that's so sad. I was like, no, it wasn't because it was a sad scene. Because part of the inheritance was a people of every tribe of every tongue, of every nation. I wonder, because I don't know and John couldn't see it, so I can't spec. I can only speculate. What if our names were on that list? What if our names were on the scroll? What if it was a list of the names of who would trust in him? But no one was able to claim it. No one was worthy enough to open it. See, guys, in, in this culture, there was a term, there was a kinsman redeemer. And if you had a death in the family, if you had a death of the person who was in charge and they, were, and they died, well, the, the, the authority had to go to the next person in line. But the, that person had to be willing and able to redeem the family because if they weren't able to redeem the family or didn't want to, the family would be hopeless. The family would be lost. And that's why it was called a kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament. And that was, in the, that was a cultural thing. And so there was this element, our, the first Adam died Who's to claim? Who's to claim God's people? Who's to claim us? No one was worthy enough to open it. No one was, no one can do it. No one was able to do it. And no one was willing. There were people that were, listen, I'm able to pay that, but you know what? You're not my problem. I, I'm able, but not willing. And there were some people that sometimes, no, I am, I am willing to help you, but I don't have the money. I can't. I am sorry. But notice, what did the elders say? Look. Don't cry, because you, through his tears, through the mist of his tears, he couldn't see the one standing next to the father, and he was a lamb, slaughtered 
This was a horrific, gory scene. This was our crucified Savior. And he was worthy. In verse 8, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down, each one with harps and golden bowls filled with incense with the prayers of the people, and they sang a new song, verse 9. Notice the revelation of Christ was followed by a response. And so, guys, we, our prayers are the same. We respond because of what Christ did on the cross. He was worthy to claim the scrolls. He is worthy to redeem us. There was no hope outside of heaven and earth, outside of him. And why was he worthy? Because of Christmas. Because he was born one of us. He was truly, fully one of us. Not a half and half. He was truly one of us, yet truly God. And he was able to live our perfect life and do all these things to be our perfect sacrifice so he can be our kinsman redeemer. Because now Adam, our first Adam is dead and gone and we are lost. And here comes the second Adam, like Romans says. Father, I am worthy to claim them. Because not only am I able, I'm willing, yes, but I am also able because I am one of them. Emmanuel means God with us. He became one of us so he could be with us. So he can stand one day before the Father and says, I am next in line. They are my kin. They are my kin. The King of Kings is our kinsman redeemer. And notice that that's the God we pray to, guys. That is the God you pray to. And so don't just pray to him. Praise his name. Because that's exactly what happens here. I'm going to read it. So I'm going to read the rest of chapter 5. Because here, the, the, as they see the lamb claiming the scroll with every name and tongue and tribe, this was us. And he's about to unpack it, unveil it. The plan of God is going to be unfolded all throughout for all to see. And as the 24, and these creatures right here, guys, are horrific. If you ever see, I mean, they're monsters, and yet they are so terrified and in awe of God that they fall down before him as well. They fall down before this lamb of Jesus, and all of these guys, they fall down with their harps and hands and bowls, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, they sing, and to open up its seals because you, Christ, were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and every tongue and every people and nation. You made them, not us, you, you made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign on earth. John says, then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels. Now the choir is growing in heaven. And now the angels join in around the throne. And also the living creatures and the elders, their numbers were countless, thousands plus thousands, thousands, a sea of people that could not be counted. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature now in heaven. Now there is a massive crescendo. Everything that has breath is praising the Lord right now. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth and on the sea and in, the, and in everything in them, sing this blessing and honor and glory and power. Be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Guys, will you echo heaven today and say, Amen. 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 Amen to the one who he is worthy. Amen just means truth. And I believe this is why we end our prayers with amen. It's not a sign off like I've said. We end our prayers with amen because it is a declaration of truth. Everything that I've said, I believe. Amen means let it be so. So I trust in you to, for this to be true. Amen. And that is what we are left with, guys. That is now our charge. You are now shown, we've seen Christ in Scripture. Now what is your response going to be? I pray it is not one of pride. I pray it not be one of pride. Because then you will not be in attendance in that, in, to see this in witnesses. But may it be one of humility and of grace. Because here's the thing, when you see Christ, it changes the way you see everything. These people, all they saw was pain and hurt and darkness and loss. But when they got a glimpse and they got to see Christ and see where it was going and how it was going to be, it changed their perspective. Will you do the same? Will you put your trust in, if you see Christ and respond in faith, it will change your perspective and it will change you to meet your circumstances, no matter how difficult, no matter whatever it will be. 
when you recognize once and forever and you say amen to that choir said, he is worthy. Like we sang earlier, he is worthy of it all. Of it all. No matter how pretty or much you have, he is worthy of it all. 